Are you happy to be here? Um, it's such a great honor <coughs> and privilege for me to stand here this morning. Um, we thank God for this for that he has brought us. Um, please receive greetings from from Pastor. He called me this morning and asked me to convey his greetings. Elder Njoroge as well conveyed his greetings to us. And uh, Pastor John Hubbard yesterday uh, asked me to convey his greetings to all of us. Do you receive them? Um, <clears throat> when it became clear that beginning July we would be having regular Sunday meetings, um, I think as probably every one of us, we would just spend time and pray and say, God, um, when that time comes, we pray that there will be vessels and individuals who are going to take up these responsibilities. And I think I identify with Moses. You know, when Moses was called by God, he said, Lord, here I am, but send somebody else. And like Isaiah who said, Lord, here I am, send me. And so um, after the conference that we had, I think I knew why. And uh, as Mike shared, I, I think I want to agree with him that uh, this is a price of talking too much during Bible study. And um, I think added to that, this is the price of having your video on during our Bible studies. Um, but anyway... Um, we thank God and I hope that in the next few minutes, please don't be intimidated by this number of pages. I will try to restrain myself um, to these uh, pages. Um, I'd like us to read a scripture that we all know in Matthew 17. Matthew 17. And uh, <clears throat> we'll read verse 5. Matthew 17. Verse 5. If you're there, I will read. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. And Matthew 17, verse 5 reads While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And is that last statement that I'd like us to pay attention to. Hear him. That as often as we gather, not just here, but even in, in our own private studies, the responsibility that we have is to hear the Lord. And I want us to jump to John chapter 2 and also read verse 5. John chapter 2. Verse 5, this is that first miracle where Jesus turned water into wine. That even as we come to that place of hearing him, I pray that this will be our attitude as well. Because in John 2, 5, his mother, this after Christ's mother had told Jesus they had run out of wine. And so in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That even as we come to that place of hearing God, then that whatever he will tell us this morning, and even as we continue with our private studies, that we shall do. And the last scripture before we go to the lesson is Ruth chapter 2 verse 5. Interestingly, all of them are verse 5. Ruth chapter 2 verse 5, I'm sure we, we have read this before. <coughs> it's not strange to us. This is Naomi a type of the scriptures speaking to Naomi, I mean to Ruth, a type of a faithful Christian. And after all the instructions are given in verse 5, this is what Ruth says, and she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. And so even as we look at this lesson, I hope and pray that it will uh, more or less be like a follow-up. You remember in 2019, while we were still at sunrise, we did do a lesson, Profit and Loss, and um, this is not a business class. Um, but just as a follow-up of that same lesson, I thought 
as I continue to study that this would probably be something to follow up on that. And so the title of this lesson is Loss for Profit. Um, and this is part one. If the Lord is willing, we shall look at part two some other time. And so we'll read those scriptures in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, in both the New King James Version and the Young Literal Translation. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The young literal translation renders it this way. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If anyone doth will to come after me, let him disown himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever may will to save his life shall lose it, and whoever may lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he may gain the whole world but of his life suffer loss? Or what shall a man give as an exchange for his life? The instructions there are that we deny self, take up the cross, and follow him. And so, going to point number one in Matthew sixteen twenty four that we have read, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And coming after Jesus, going by this verse, is an individual choice, if anyone. And this is an individual choice that we make on a daily basis, looking at the tense, if anyone desires. It is a present continuous tense. And so it is an individual choice that we make on a daily basis. And it is not a one-time action, but a present and a continuous one. Number two is that coming after Jesus is an individual responsibility. You cannot come after Jesus for me. I cannot do it for you. I have to do it for myself. And this individual responsibility involves a threefold action that we have just seen, to deny or disown self, to take up the cross, and to follow him. And these actions are not standalone. They are one continuous and interrelated action. One cannot do one minus the other. And in the Greek language, this threefold instruction spoken by Jesus is a command. It is an imperative. It is not a suggestion. Now, in Greek, to deny means to deny utterly. That is, to disown, to abstain. And therefore, to deny self is to disown or to abstain from the fleshly impulses of the soul. It is to disown self-life in favor of God's word. To take up the cross is to die to self, to crucify the old man. And the verb tense of this command speaks of a one-time, never-to-be-repeated event. That means that at the beginning of our Christian life, we take up our cross. And you know the cross is the instrument through which death is accomplished. We know that, don't we? And we are never to put it down again. And you know, friends, nobody can be his disciple minus the cross. These are the words of Jesus in Luke fourteen twenty-seven. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is no question about it. And Jesus makes it clear we are to bear the cross. We are not to wear the cross. I think we are living at a time where wearing the cross is trending. Um, I think on Friday before I left work, a colleague of mine came and spoke to another colleague of mine who does jewelry. And she asked her to make um, a, a cross as part of her necklace, which is good. And there's no problem about that. But friends, being the disciple of Jesus is not in the wearing of the cross. It is in bearing the cross. And lastly, to follow the Lord. To follow means to be in the same way, same way with that is, to accompany, especially as a disciple. 
and throughout the entire course of our Christian life, we are to continually follow our Lord. And our question would be, where is the Lord going in order for us to follow him? I wonder whether it would make any sense for us to follow someone we don't know where he is going. And we know that the focus of all scripture is the seventh day. Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, when you think about the Old Testament economy, a sacrifice for it to be a sacrifice had to die, isn't it? When you brought that animal, it had to die. But Paul is telling us here, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And somebody has rightly said, one of the challenges of a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl away from the altar. In the Old Testament economy, the priest placed the sacrifice upon the altar, and there it remained. And in the same way, Christians, you and I, we are to place the self, the man of the flesh, the unredeemed soul on the altar, where it is to remain a continuous sacrifice throughout the course of our Christian life. To take up the cross and to present our bodies a living sacrifice are two ways of saying the same thing. That which is still in bondage to sin, the unredeemed soul, the self-life, is to be kept continually in a state of dying so as to remain in subjection and our fully redeemed spirit. And this concept is pictured for us in water baptism. The man of the flesh, then redeemed soul, is plunged beneath the waters of death where he is to remain. Then the man of the spirit rises triumphantly from those same waters by the power of the spirit in resurrection that one might walk in newness of life led by the Spirit. Paul, writing to his son in the faith in 2 Timothy 2.11, would remind him that this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And this death has everything to do with the death of self. And that is a much we can say about verse 24. Now let's move to verse 25 to 26 of Matthew 16 that we have read. For whoever desires to save his soul will lose it. But whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. For what profit <coughs> is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Is there any profit? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now these two verses provide the Lord's own commentary on the threefold command that he has given in verse 24, deny self, take up the cross, and follow him. I hope by now we know that the Greek word translated life is the same word for soul, and I hope we saw that in the young literal translation. Therefore, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow the Lord is the same action as losing our soul, our life, laying down our self-life for his sake. If we lose our soul, our life, by keeping our unredeemed soul in the continual state of dying throughout our Christian journey, then we will find it in that future day, receiving the salvation of our soul when Christ comes in his kingdom, even as we sang in that last song. You know, when that day comes, we shall stand with him. And you know, the inverse of our choosing not to lose our soul is that we might be tempted to save our soul, our life now, by allowing our unredeemed soul, our self-life, the man of the flesh, to gain ascendancy rather than our redeemed spirit. And if that were to be the case, friends, we will lose it in that future day. We will not stand with him. We will experience the loss of our soul 
the loss of our life when Christ comes in his kingdom. And I hope that the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15 would bring this point home. That now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is, of what quality it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And Paul presents to us two sets of building materials, gold, silver, precious stones on one side, wood, hay, and straw on the other. And we are reminded that our work, each one's work, will become clear. Why? Because the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, a picture of judgment. And our work and the quality of it will be revealed on that day. And friends, if our work, based on the building material that we see, gold, silver, precious stones, which we know will endure the fire, then guess what? We will receive a reward. And I hope we remember that these three, gold, silver, and precious stones, would picture works of the Spirit. And these are the works that will endure fire. Not so much so with wood, hay, and straw. They will burn. And if that were to be the case, then we will suffer loss. But because we are eternally saved, then we will be saved with respect to matters to do with eternity. But when it comes to the kingdom, we will be denied an opportunity to rule with Christ. Remember, we are looking at loss for profit. That if we are to profit on that day, then there has to be a loss that we are to go through. I hope that we remember, even as we learned last Sunday, that anything that we find in the New Testament, we have to go back to the old to find the germ seeds. And so I'd like us to look at the type that we see pictured by Abram and Lot. We know that the Lord called Abram from Ar of the Chaldeans to receive an inheritance in Canaan. Reading Genesis 12 verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Abram partially obeyed the Lord. He left Ar of the Chaldeans, but he settled in Haran. He did not separate fully from his family, nor from his father's house. His father Terah and nephew Lot accompanied him. And that we may find in Genesis 11, 31 to 32, and chapter 12, verse 4 to 5. Additionally, when there was a famine, Abram went to Egypt, a type of the world. He left the mountain east of Bethel to dwell in Egypt. That we can find in Genesis 12, verse 10 to 20. And we know that like with every one of us, Abram's faith was yet to mature. And I pray that we find great encouragement in the life of Abram and all these Old Testament saints so that peradventure, if we do the same things that they did, that we can take encouragement, that we have opportunity even to rectify and to make those adjustments. Abram was repentant. We see him departing from Egypt and going back to the place that he had made an altar first to the Lord. And by this time, Lot is, is still with Abram, contrary to those instructions that God had given. Both Abram and Lot, they had great possessions, and this birthed strife between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's. And as a result, a separation between them was necessary. I encourage us to read in our own time Genesis, the whole of chapter number 13. But we'll read from verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? 
please separate from me if you take the left then i will go to the right or if you go to the right then i will go to the left and lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the lord destroyed sodom and gomorrah like the garden of the lord like the land of egypt as you go towards zoar then lot chose for himself all the plain of jordan and lot journeyed east and they separated from each other abram dwelt in the land of canaan and lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as sodom but the men of sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the lord i hope we hear the echoes of that message during the conference no peace but a sword now we see that lot's choice because we have read in verse 11 lot chose for himself we see that lot's choice was informed by what he saw he chose for himself all the plain of jordan he dwelt therein he pitched his tent even as far as sodom while abram dwelt in the land of canaan being led by god in hebrew to dwell means to remain it means to abide and that is what lot chose for himself he chose to remain to abide in the plain of jordan in the cities of the plain sodom is a picture of the world and this is what lot chose for himself he chose to leave abram and essentially went back to where he came from to a place and a people who were strangers to him but with whom he had a closer association than with his uncle abram and the land of promise we can simply say lot loved the world pictured by sodom and we know that command or instruction in 1 john 2:15 do not love the world or the things in in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and i hope even as we went through that lesson on sunday we saw this same thing in genesis 3 how temptations come our way it is just through these three things the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and although lot had begun the journey with abram to canaan leaving behind ar of the chaldeans a place that pictures the world under the god of this world his interest was not in canaan his interest was in sodom and i wonder friends even as we continue with our pilgrim journey is our interest in that which is pictured by canaan the kingdom of the heavens paul instructing the brethren in colossae in colossians 3:1 would remind us this morning that if then you were raised with christ seek those things which are above where christ is sitting at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on things on the earth and the same writer in philippians 3:18 to 19 would write to the church in philippi for many walk of whom i have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of christ whose end is destruction whose god is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things herein we have an example of lot he had set his mind on things on the earth earthly things not so with abraham abraham had set his mind on things above where is our mind set on this morning like many who begin a race so did lot but you know unfortunately he did not receive the prize reading that instruction in 1 Corinthians 9:24 do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize i hope we know that don't we 
I think Kenya is blessed because uh, we have athletes, a good number of them coming from our country. And so we see them beginning in their thousands. But when it comes to the finish line, there is just that one who receives a prize. But Paul would encourage us this morning, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. And I think what Paul is alluding to is that there is a running that is aimless. There is a running that will not give us a prize. And if that were to be the case, then we have opportunity this morning, if we have been running in that way, and to begin to run in such a way that we may obtain the prize. And I think one of the ways of doing so is by losing our lives now, that we may find it then. Abram pictures both the kingdom-minded Christian, and I pray that we are such, and the new man, the man of the spirit, while Lot, the carnally-minded Christian, and the old man, the man of the flesh. Now, at every given point, separation between the two is inevitable, as both cannot coexist peacefully together. The man of the flesh and the man of the spirit cannot coexist peacefully and that is why that strife that we have read in Genesis 13 would be our experience as we continue with our pilgrimage. I don't know whether you have come across this same strife that Paul writes in Galatians 4 verse 28 to 30. Now we brethren as Isaac was are children of promise but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. I don't know whether we remember when Ishmael, the firstborn son, looks at Isaac. Let me just take us to Genesis 21. When Isaac is born, in chapter 21, verse 1, all the way to verse 7, there was no strife that is recorded for us. This that we have read in Galatians 4 happens um, in verse 10. But verse 10 is preceded by verse 8 to 9. And I'd like us to read Genesis 21, verse 8 to 9, to just put this matter into context. If you are there... I will read. So the child, speaking of Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this born woman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Friends, as long as Isaac was a, was a child or a baby, Ishmael had no problem. But when the child grew, when Isaac grew and he was weaned, that is when trouble began. And you know weaning is leaving the milk and beginning to eat solid food. And I want to suggest to us, dear friends, that the moment we choose to leave the milk of the word and begin to focus on matters with to do with the solid food, that is when the old man is going to come knocking. That is when the scoffing that we have read in verse 9 is going to happen. And no sooner does that happen than the casting of the bond woman and her son should happen. Because clearly, the son of the bond woman, the old man, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now this separation that we are seeing here, going back to our notes, is dependent on one thing, our choice to do so or not. If you were to read verse, I think verse 11 of Genesis 21, when this matter was brought to Abraham's attention, Abraham, it was displeasing, very displeasing in Abraham's sight because Ishmael was his son. Separation between the old man and the new man is not something that is easy, but it has to happen. So reading Galatians 5, 16 to 17, I say then, 
walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish lot remained in abram's family but from this point when separation has taken place onwards this is all that they have in common and their lives move in completely different directions that had completely different outcomes and we see paul had a similar experience with demas in second timothy 4 verse 9 to 10 paul writes to timothy be diligent to come to me quickly for demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for thessalonica demas loved this world something that lot did and because we have said the very nature of this race is that a separation would happen i hope we can remember the separation that took place between rebecca and her family that took place between orpah and ruth and as we see with lot from genesis 13 to 18 interestingly there is no record of lot except when he was taken captive and consequently rescued by abram in genesis 14 Lot descended into the den of wickedness which is Sodom while Abram remained on the high ground receiving a greater revelation of God's promise to him to the extent that in chapter 17 we know that God changed his name and that of his wife and while dwelling by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Lord appeared to Abraham reading Genesis 18:1 then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day and we see Abraham making an intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah because of her wickedness the very same place that his nephew is domiciled and thereafter the Lord went his way while Abraham returned to his place when Lot is reintroduced to us we see him sitting guess where in the gate of sodom there is such um a dichotomy of some sort between abraham in genesis 18 because he's found sitting in the tent and lot in genesis 19 because the scriptures remind us now the two angels came to sodom in the evening and lot was sitting in the gate of sodom when lot saw them he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground so we have one man abraham sitting in the tent door and we have one lord sitting in the gate of sodom and you know this place the gate is not just an arbitrary place because we know by now that the administration of a city happened at the gate this is where those in authority were positioned We have a good illustration in Deuteronomy 21 verse 19. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city to the gate of his city. You remember the promise in Genesis 22:17 about the descendants of Abraham they will possess the gate of their enemies. If you go to Ruth chapter 4 after the transaction of um, you know redeeming the inheritance boaz took the closer relative and they went to the elders who are the gate of the city what is the implication for us that lot had risen through the ranks he was an administrator in sodom his choice to dwell to abide and to remain in sodom saw him progress to the extent of having authority and is this not what is pictured for us in psalm 11 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful there is a progression here for us we begin by walking then we continue to standing and then we sit but you see the psalmist is telling us blessed is the man who chooses not to do all this and i pray that we shall be such and the depravity of sodom and gomorrah was certainly great 
it took the intervention of the two angels to repel an attempt by the men of Sodom. You can find that in Genesis 19:4-11. The angels urged Lot to take his wife and daughters out of Sodom as they would destroy it because of its wickedness. But we know that Lot lingered and the angels had to take hold of his hand and the hands of his wife and daughters to bring them out of the city. And then the angels gave a very clear instruction in Genesis 19 to 17, which I hope we can relate to our head scripture in Matthew 16:24 to 26. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, "Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape." to the mountains lest you be destroyed and when you think about these instructions i hope we find that there is no ambiguity escape for your life do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed and we can safely conclude that lot and his family understood what was being required of them now the hebrew word for life also happens to be the same word for soul just like we have seen the greek word in matthew 16 so here in we find a threefold instruction much like we have in matthew 16 escape for your life they were to escape and to escape is to deliver to save they were to escape for their souls for their lives number two, they were told not to look behind them nor stay anywhere in the plain and to stay means to tarry to delay to remain to abide to continue to endure and they were thirdly told to escape to the mountains and in scripture we know a mountain is a picture of the kingdom don't we and i want to believe that the same instructions my brothers and sisters is being given to us this morning that we are to escape for our life for our soul that we are not to look behind nor stay anywhere in the plain and we are being told to escape to a very specific place we are to escape to the mountain lot was hesitant chose to escape to a nearby city called zoar then lot said to cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil say because the angel of god has said escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed he's being told that your place of safety is in the mountains but lot is debating this matter and saying i cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and die we cannot find death in the mountains and yet that is a place of our safety and you see what his involvement in the matters to do with administration in lot in sodom had done to him it had blurred his vision had he loved sodom and its practices that much you know was lot rationalizing the instruction god had given and in his wisdom saying no i think my place of safety is zor james 44 poor uh, james would remind us this morning adulterers and adulteresses Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What is the answer? Is friendship with the world enmity with God? Yes. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I wonder how much we can go if we chose to become enemies of God. The Lord we know punished Sodom and Gomorrah for her sins reading verse 24 and 25 of Genesis 19 then the Lord rained brimstone and fire the destruction of gentile world power when Christ ascends his throne and contrary to the command that we have read in verse 17 not to look back Lot's wife disobeyed this instruction but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt and in hebrew to look back is to scan to look at intently by implication 
to regard with pleasure. When Lot's wife is looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah, she was doing that with such pleasure. In other words, she was saying, I wish I can go back. And sure enough, she paid the price. It makes me remember the children of Israel. After they had crossed the Red Sea, the complaints began. Was it not better for us to die in Egypt? And they remembered the cucumbers. They remembered the melons. They remembered the diet that they were given in Egypt that was free. But they forgot about the oppression that they went through. And I wonder whether this morning there is a possibility that even as the Lord will call us out of the world, that we end up looking back. So much so that Jesus would warn us this morning in Luke 17, 32, remember Lord's wife. You know, when you're told something like this, you think about what she did. It was not anything that we are to emulate because not not all examples in Scripture are to be emulated. There are those that we are to avoid. Remember Lord's wife. Orpah, we know, went back in Ruth 1, 14 to 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But we know the resolve that Ruth had. She said, Entreat me not to leave you. Have we like Orpah Have we like Lot's wife? Have we like that first generation of the children of Israel who have just left Egypt? Have we gone back? Is there a possibility that in our hearts we have gone back? Jesus encourages us this morning not to look back, reading Luke 9.62. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. My brothers and my sisters, now that we have chosen to put our hands on the plow, may God encourage us and may he grace us not to look back because if we do, we are not fit for the kingdom. Instead, we are to look away from the world and we are to look unto Jesus, even as the writer of Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 1 to 2, would remind us this morning. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, literally looking away from and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember in Matthew 16, you were told to deny ourselves, carry the cross, and follow him. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord while interceding for Sodom, and he looked toward the city and all the land of the plain. And this is what is recorded in Genesis 19:27 to 28. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. It is inferred from the text that Abraham was on a higher ground than the plain. He must have been on a mountain. Not so with Lot and his daughters, They dwelt in a cave, a place of shame, within the mountains. Reading verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zohar and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zohar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. What a distinction between Abraham and Lot. That at the end of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham is seen dwelling in the mountains while Lot and his daughters are in a cave but within the mountains. And this is not the first time we see Abraham standing before the Lord while Lot was seated at the gate. In Genesis 18.22, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. 
but Abraham still stood before the Lord. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 1 verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We are being encouraged to stand. And the scriptures are replete with instructions for us in this present dispensation to stand. We've just finished the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians 6, 11, 13 to 14, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having guarded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. May we choose to stand this morning. In Colossians 4.12 that we've been using during our prayer meeting on Monday, we read of a man called Epaphras, who is one of you, a born servant of Christ, who greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Friends, we are being admonished to stand like Abraham did. Only then will we be able to sit with Christ in the coming kingdom. Reading this overcomer's promise in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That as often as we have just read, we see Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And even as we come to the end, from the foregoing, there is a distinction between Abraham and Lot. Based on the two outcomes, it is safe to conclude Abraham had previously lost his soul, and as such, he found it as he is seen standing on the mountains. For Abraham to be seen standing on the mountains, my brothers and sisters, he must have lost his soul. He must have denied himself. He must have carried his cross. He must have followed the Lord. And as a result of his loss, he profited. Not so with Lot. Lot had previously saved his soul. He thus lost it because we see him dwelling in a cave. So as a result of his profit, he lost. And likewise for you and I this morning, there will be only two outcomes at the judgment seat of Christ based on the choices that we are making today. Lot, interestingly, is described in scripture as a righteous man because he was an eternally saved individual. He had the potential, like Abraham, to make the choice to lose his soul, his life, but he chose not to. Peter, giving a commentary in 2 Peter 2, verse 7 to 8, records for us, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And maybe the question then that we are asking by way of coming to the end of our lesson this morning, how did Abraham lose his soul? How did he lose his life? <coughs> I submit to us this morning, by faith, to the saving of his soul, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He dwelt in tents, demonstrating his lack of attachment to the world and the things therein. And you know we are told that he did this by faith. In Hebrews 11, 9-10, by faith, speaking of Abraham, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That, friends, if we are to profit on that day, then it is incumbent upon us by faith to the saving of our soul to dwell in our present places in tents. Now, God is not in any way asking us to go and destroy our houses 
and then build temporary shelters. That is not the point. It has everything to do with our attachments to the things of this world. And you know, when I thought about Paul, I mean Abraham dwelling in tents, I realized that according to Genesis 13 verse 5, Lot also had a tent. In Genesis 13 5, Lot also, who went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. You know, it tells me that he began very well. But you know, friends, it's not how we begin that matters. It is how we finish this race. But the second thing also in verse 10 that we have read, Abraham waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And do you know that even at the time of his death, he died waiting for this city, the new Jerusalem. Point number B, by faith, to the saving of his soul, Abraham embraced God's promises and he confessed that he was a stranger. He was a pilgrim on the earth, reading verse 13 to 16. These all died, including Abraham, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Remember Orpa? But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. My brothers and my sisters, have we seen the promises? Have we received these promises that God has given us? Have we confessed that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth? Or have we become dwellers like Lot was? You know, the difference between Lot and Abraham is that Abraham lived in tents. But when you see Lot in Sodom, he had built a house. You know, he had an establishment. He had an attachment to Sodom. And the Bible says that those who say such things like Abraham and the rest declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Are we seeking a homeland this morning? And you know the opportunity to go back, to return is there. It is there even this morning. But you know, as for Abraham and the rest who are mentioned in Hebrews 11, they desired a better, a heavenly country. And we are told that God is not ashamed to be called their God. I wonder, is God ashamed to be called my God this morning? Friends, let us be encouraged that he has prepared a city, the new Jerusalem, for them and by extension for us. And by faith, point number three, to the saving of his soul, Abraham obeyed when God told him to go out. Even though he did not know where he was going. Reading Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Is that not the same attitude for us? That we have been called out of this world, that we may receive that inheritance in the heavenly places. And we are to follow the example of Abraham and go out even though we may not know where we are going. That if we choose to do so, then we are losing now, but that we shall profit then. Now, while we know that Abraham did not begin his journey strong in the faith, which I hope comes to us as a great encouragement, it is helpful to know that he matured over time. As he walked, and I like what Paul says in Romans, he walked in the steps of the faith. You know, friends, the faith doesn't have a lift that you just walk in, press um, floor number 16, and then you are there in a minute or a fraction of it. The faith has steps. And maybe even as we look at Abraham in Genesis 22, when he has fully matured, we could desire to be there, which is a noble thing. But I wonder, is it possible? Maybe we are just in chapter 15 of our own lives. Is that a possibility? And so let us be admonished and encouraged this morning from the life of Abraham. Because when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he tells them in chapter number 4, verse 12 to 13, And the father of circumcision, 
to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. From God's perspective, and this is the thing that really encourages me this morning, Abraham was not weak in faith, nor did he waver at the promise of God through unbelief. And maybe as we think about that statement, we remember you know, his association with Hagar, the fact that they tried to produce a child way ahead of time, and we are thinking, hey God, are you sure he was not weak? Yes, that is what God says. And as in scripture say that let God be true and all men be liars. In Romans 4, 18 to 21, who, speaking of Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I hope that these words would encourage us even as we continue with our maturing process, that even though we will stumble, you know what? It doesn't matter how we begin. It matters how we finish. And for us to profit on that day, like Abraham, we must lose our soul. We must lose our life now. And friends, this will only be a reality if we embrace the faith matters to do with the word of the kingdom, matters to do with the salvation of our soul. If we don't embrace this persuasion, I want to submit to us, we may never really lose our souls in the present. This scripture in Hebrews 10, 38 would remind us that now the just shall live by faith. But if, it, if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. I hope verse 39 would describe us this morning. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And in chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, which I believe is faith to the saving of the soul, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And these last two scriptures, one in First Peter 2, 11, Beloved brethren, this morning, Peter would write, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And in Hebrews 10, 23, that we read last night, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Praise the Lord. I'd like to read Isaiah 48, 17 that I did not include in the notes. And that will be our last scripture for this morning. Isaiah 48 and verse 17. This is the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel. And I hope that we can borrow a leaf from this very same verse. Isaiah, Isaiah 48, verse 17. Thus says the Lord. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. That if our desire is to profit on that day, then friends, we must lose in the present. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father and our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We bless you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to gather as an Nairobi fellowship this morning. And we thank you that, God, you are faithful to bring us your word by way of reminder and even by way of giving us new revelation 
We thank you that you have not left us as orphans, O God. We thank you for your word that is full of your spirit. We thank you, God, that you would remind us this morning of the necessity for us in our pilgrim journey today to lose our lives, our souls, our self-life, so that, Lord, we may profit on that day. And since you are the one who teaches us to profit, God, we entrust ourselves to you. I pray that, God, we shall not allow this word to fall to the ground, but the Lord, it shall find a lodging in our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, the enemy of our soul will not snatch it from us, that the cares of this world will not distract us, dear Father, that the pleasures of life will not choke this word, but the Lord, we shall be that good soil Christian who hears the word of the kingdom, understands it, and bears fruit. And so, God, we thank you, and we bless you because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.